John chapter 10, if you would turn there in your Bibles. One of these Sundays, I think we'll leave the middle schoolers in for my ego. <laughs> the back of the church there empties out. Father, we acknowledge it every time we come together. It's your word. We say, Lord, teach us your word. We ask, Lord, reveal us truths in your word, from your word. We talk about the importance of abiding in your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that all of these things would not be just things that we say, but they would truly be a reality for each one of us. And not just on Sundays when we come together. This is the easy part, to bring your Bible to church, to open it up and to follow along. That's easy. But Lord, we pray throughout the week that we'd be men and women who love your word and recognize our need for the daily manna that comes down from heaven. And we're not talking about that which we put in our mouth, but that which we fill our hearts with, Lord. So we pray that you would teach us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, uh, um, we looked at uh, another chunk of John chapter 10. This week, we're going to finish John chapter 10. And you'll remember the theme. Jesus has been talking about the good shepherd versus the hireling. The hireling is in it for his own good, for his own benefit. The good shepherd, well, he lays down his life for his sheep. Uh, his sheep know him. They recognize his voice. And so that's the theme that we've been dealing with. But it's important to note that there is a, or there was a, about a two and a half month gap between verses 21 and 22. So last week we ended with verse 21. And, uh, you know, here it is a week later, we pick up. But chronologically, there was about a two and a half month gap. And we know that because chapter 22, or I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 22 tells us, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I, I, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe. Comma, look what he says, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And then, to plainly answer their question, I and my father are one. So Jesus, once again, we see Jesus, he's confronted. Um, you wonder if these religious leaders, if they had anything better to do, you know, like uh, ministering <laughs> to people and kind of doing their, their ministry, their job. But uh, whenever Jesus was around, they were around. 
And uh, here they are in Jerusalem, and it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, we know the Feast of Tabernacles, but we know it by a different name. We know it by Hanukkah. The Feast of, uh, Feast of Tabernacles uh, in, in Jesus' day and to the present day, though I think Hanukkah has really become kind of like Christmas for many people. It's just a traditional thing that you do. But the Feast of Dedication was a time that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, remembered the desecration of the temple by the Greek uh, king Epiphanes, Antichus Epiphanes, and then the rededication, so kind of taking back which, that which belonged to them and, and uh, kind of reestablishing the worship there and all. And so it was kind of a dark time in Israel's history. It's a dark time that many don't even take time to consider or to study. Um, we know that it was during this time that Antichus Epiphanes, um, he comes into Jerusalem, and really it seems like his attempt was to get them to turn away from Yahweh and to turn to other gods. And so he comes in, he immediately steals uh, about a million dollars um, in gold and silver that was there in the temple. And then he, he starts to pass these laws. One of the laws was that anyone who possessed a copy of the law of the Torah, uh, they would be put to death. So all of a sudden, scripture is illegal. And then, and then he passed a law that anyone who circumcised their child would, would die the death penalty. So of course we know for, from the Jewish perspective, they would circumcise their boys and uh, they would do that on a specific day, on the eighth day. Whenever that eighth day happened to land, if it was on a Sabbath or not, that would be the day that they would circumcise their sons. We're told that mothers who had their sons circumcised according to the law for the Hebrew people, that they would be crucified and as they were crucified, their infant son would be hung from their neck so that they would crucify not only the mother, but the child as well. Under uh, Epiphany, the temple was turned into a house of prostitution, much like many of the pagan temples. You know, they were really a house of uh, male and female prostitution. They, they did this, of course, um, as a form of worship, or it sounds like today. And then we know that he um, made the altar, the burnt offering altar, altar there at the temple, that he, he made it a altar to the Greek god Zeus, and he sacrificed a pig on that altar. Remember, this is the altar of God. So there, he's really doing horrific things, and, and the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, as they would watch these things, it was so disheartening for them. It was like they didn't have any control over this madman and his armies. We're told that, they, that he uh, killed about 80,000 Jews and about that number he sold into slavery. And it was really a, a dark, dark time. And it wasn't you know, too soon before the incarnation of Christ, Jesus on the earth. Um, we know that during this time, there was one family that rose up, the Maccabees. 
And this one family, father and his sons, they rose up, and of course they didn't go to war with Antiochus Epiphanes on their own in his armies, but they rose up. They brought about a rebellion, and the Lord gave them honor, or honored their efforts and, and blessed them. It's an interesting thing, the whole Maccabees thing, because they in turn kind of set themselves as kind of a, uh, you know, a, uh, a ruling class in Israel. They're, they're kind of God's chosen men and everything. And so you really see the hand of God in delivering Israel during this time, but you also see the corruption of man. And that doesn't surprise us at all. So that was the time frame. And we see that Jesus was walking in the temple. And, and you probably don't need me to say this, but I'm going to say this just in case someone needs clarity. Jesus, in his incarnation, never once walked into the temple, the structure, the sanctuary, the holy place, the holy of holies, because he would have been killed immediately. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't in the priestly line. He wasn't serving in the temple. So quite often you'll read, they were in the temple. You'll see it in the Gospels, and you'll also see it in the book of Acts. But they weren't in the temple. They weren't in the building. They were in the buildings around the temple. So you'd have the, the court of the Gentiles. You'd have the court of the Hebrew men. You know, you'd have the court of the women, the Hebrew women. You would have all the, the priest court, all of these. And, and there they were. And then, of course, Jesus was in the, the temple that Herod had built and uh, remodeled, I guess. Um, and he was in Solomon's porch, we're told. And Solomon's porch is something that comes up. You, you think, well, I've read about Solomon's porch. Well, Solomon's porch is seen in the book of Acts. It became the location where the early church there in Jerusalem would meet. That would become their, their place of meeting. They had no building. They had no church. So they would go to Solomon's porch there. And they would listen to the apostles' doctrine, the teaching, and so on and so forth. So, so all of these things, they might sound familiar to us. It's nice to kind of have the background to kind of picture what's going on. And then verse 24, we're told that the Jews surrounded him, and they said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And, you know, um, Jesus goes on, and he answers them, and he's very gracious and much more gracious than I would have been. But in one sense, he could have said, I've told you, you're not listening. I've shown you, you're not paying attention. He said in John chapter 3, in John chapter 6, I am the one who came from heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 5, in essence, I told you I am the son of God. Jesus says, I told you the scriptures speak of me, John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus could have said, I told you I am uniquely sent by the Father, John chapter 8. He could have said, I told you before Abraham was, I am, John chapter 8. Remember, guys, that these religious leaders were always on the, uh, the heels of Jesus. They were hearing these statements of Jesus. Jesus was not keeping this a secret. He was not concealing his identity. He was speaking, but they weren't listening. They weren't tuned in. He could have said, I am the son of man prophesied by Daniel. I am 
the one who raises himself from the dead, John chapter 10. We saw that last week or the week before. He could have said, I told you, I am the bread of life, the bread that comes down from heaven. We saw that in John chapter 6. He could have said, I told you, I am the light of the world, John chapter 8. I told you, I am the door, the only access. I told you, I am the good shepherd. And as you go on in John's gospel account, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, he, he couldn't make it any clearer. But Jesus, he says, in verse 25, he says, I, I told you, and you do not believe. And then he says, the works that I do in my Father's name they bear witness of me. And then he goes on, he says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I, and I give them eternal life. So Jesus, as he's speaking to this group, and he, he kind of, I could kind of imagine the tension there. They don't like him. I don't think he cares for them <laughs> because they're so shut off. They're so hard-hearted toward the truth of the word. And he says, I've not only told you with my words, I've shown you with my works. Now, guys, this is where it's important because you know what? Not only were they shut off to the scriptures, there are many professing Christians that are shut off toward the scriptures. They hear the words, but the words, they don't go any further than the ear gate. They don't seem to penetrate the mind. There's no stimulation of the mind thinking, what does he mean by this? What is he talking about concerning these things? It doesn't, it doesn't affect the heart. It doesn't have any effect upon the life. It's just some of oh, these words of Jesus. Well, they're great words, you know. Before as a Christian, I used to listen to different gurus. And the thing about gurus is that you never knew what they were talking about. I mean, honestly, they would speak in riddles and they would, and, and, and the thing is, is that in that kind of setting, there is this pride, this arrogance, and, and everyone kind of falls into the whole thing where everyone acts like they're getting what the guru's speaking of. Oh, wow, man, that's heavy. And no one said, well, what does he mean? What was he talking about? I have no idea, you know, but that's heavy. It's so heavy, we don't, don't understand it. But guys, when we're looking at Jesus, the words of Jesus, it's not like he was just speaking these heavy things that you're, you know, scratching your head. Well, maybe one day I'll figure it out when I become enlightened. But we just simply have to consider what he's saying. Guys, we need to remember <clears throat> that when Jesus confronts the religious leaders, and we don't see him speaking this directly or, or, or confronting, you know, uh, uh, just the average person, but we do see him doing it to the religious people. I've said quite often that I think that the Lord had expectations of them. I believe that the Lord has expectations for us. But they were a people, they were the standard of righteousness at that time. They were the teachers of Israel at that time. They were the ones, because the common man... He didn't have the time. He probably did not have the resources. He probably did not even possess the scrolls of the Torah or the Old Testament as, as a whole. 
So he, she, they weren't reading the scriptures. They were dependent, like many people today are. They'd kind of go into synagogue. They would go in there on Saturday, and they would, they would stand while the, the teacher would sit, and the teacher would, would begin to teach concerning the law and the prophets from the Psalms and, and, and so on. And, and they would sit and they would listen. And whatever the teacher said, well, that must be the truth. But Jesus, you know, he held these teachers, these religious leaders, to a higher standard. They had the scrolls. They had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They had the scrolls of the prophets. They had read Isaiah. They had read Ezekiel. They should have been studying these scriptures. These prophets spoke directly, specifically of Jesus. Not only the things that he would say, but the things he would do, his works. It's very, very specific. You know, I was um, listening. I sent, I, I don't know if I sent this one, but I was listening to some of the testimonies of Jews who've come to believe in Yeshua, Jesus. Uh, they're powerful. I love it, you know, because, guys, uh, <laughs> God's not done with Israel. God's not done with the Jew. God is bringing the Jew to faith. The whole reason that we exist, the church, the, the Gentile church, is that we might promote jealousy in the Jew. Do, do we understand that from Romans? But uh, I was listening to one of these testimonies, and the fellow young guy, he said that he lived out in the desert for a couple of years. He was trying to find himself uh, in his 20s, and, um, and he was, you know, who is God? And he said he had, uh, he had you know, the, the Old Testament. He had um, the Koran. He had some, you know, uh, East, uh, like New Age books and everything. And his, you know, who is God? Who is God? Who is God? And he meets somebody out in the middle of the desert, and they gave him a Bible, and they said, uh, read the Bible. And he says it was a strange Bible because it had the New Testament in it. And so he was reading the New Testament, and um, he was taken by this Jesus, you know, that, that uh, is Jewish. And he lived where they live. And they, he walked the streets that they walk, you know, and, and all of this. And, and he was just kind of interested about it. And then he was reading from Isaiah 53. And he said, this is speaking of Jesus. And then he had heard someone, uh, uh, his mother, I think, had said to him, you can't trust the Christians. They are evil. And they take the word of God and they translate it into say what they want it to say. So do not trust the Christians. And so he said that he went to a museum where they had the scroll of Isaiah. We, uh, at our, one of our pastor's conferences, Calvary Chapel, we didn't have the actual scroll, but we had a replica of the scroll of Isaiah. And he said, it took me a while to find the location because there are no chapters or verses in the scroll, you know, and he found the location and he said he read from Isaiah 53 and it was identical to what he read in that Bible with the New Testament and in his Hebrew Bible, identical. And of course, the Lord began to open his eyes. What was he doing? He was paying attention. He's a Jew who's truly seeking. 
There's a lot of people who say they're seekers, but they're turned off toward Christ. I was like that. I'm a seeker. What about Jesus? Ah, no, I'm, I, don't, I tried Jesus. I don't think Jesus is the one, you know. But these men, they should have known better. They should have paid attention. Just think of what Jesus said. He says that the works, these are the works that he does in his father's name. These are the works, he says in another location, that, that his father has given him to fulfill. Uh, the very works testify, bear witness of me, that I am whom I claim to be. I mean, you would think that they would stop and think for a moment. Blind people receiving their sight. How often has that happened? They could go to the local synagogue and say, well, you know, look, look in the, in the, in the no, books there. Do, you, do we have any account of blind people receiving their sight? No, the pages are empty. Okay, how about lepers being cleansed from their leprosy? Nope. How about demons being driven out by a word? See, the point is, is that if they were paying attention, they would realize this is the one that the prophet spoke of. And then he talks about his sheep. He says, you don't believe, you know, I have my sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and so on. And we can look at this and say, that's the problem. They could not believe because they were not his sheep. Oh, hold on. Drop down to verse 37. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do... Though you do not believe me, listen, believe the works that you may know and believe or understand that the Father is in me and I in him. It's not that they could not believe. It's that they would not believe. And because they would not believe, they could not follow. These doctrines of men, you'll know, I didn't say doctrines of demons, I'll talk about doctrines of demons in a little bit, but these doctrines of men, where you, you try to pigeonhole God, okay, so this is a doctrine, this is the doctrine of, you know, uh, election, or this is the doctrine of this, that, or the other, and there's all these uh, doctrines of men, it's men studying the scriptures, they want to understand the mind and the heart of God, and so they kind of put it into a category, you know, dispensationalism, whatever. And there, there's truth in, in all of these things, but, but when it becomes the thing, now everything, the word has to be filtered through this man-made doctrine, then you have a problem, you know. I was thinking about this on the way in. Well, the Calvinists might say, I was chosen. The Bible says we're chosen. Um, I was chosen. There's nothing I did to be chosen. And here's the mind of man. And there's nothing I could do not to be chosen. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Oh, what about holiness? And then you have another doctorate of men over here. It's holiness. Holiness is the way to get in. Listen, chosen, biblical truth, holiness, biblical truth, 
sanctification, biblical truth. I mean, we have obedience, biblical truth. We have all of these biblical truths, but when we camp on one and make it the thing and make it bigger than it actually is, we're missing the main point. And the main point is that the reason they were not believing is because they did not want to believe. And Jesus said that he gives his sheep, his people, his followers, eternal life. And the glorious thing about this is that eternal life doesn't begin at death. This is what a lot of Christians, they don't understand or they're not grasping. And so it's almost as if I'm going to live this dreary, miserable life until I die and then I'll be set free. No. For the believer, eternal life began when we first believed. Guys, this is why when we read statements of Jesus, and, and because we're not paying attention, you know, people says, if you believe in me, you shall never die. And people go, oh, that's blasphemy. What's he talking about, you know? And he goes, no, no, no. Remember, we have eternal life in Christ. So if we're paying attention, we're able to understand what Jesus is teaching, this beautiful. He says, that, that um, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he says at verse 30, I and my Father are one. And, and yet... We, we meet people all the time who say, Jesus never said that he was God. But I want you to understand that though I could be hard on these people, these religious leaders, as I read the scripture and kind of, you know, point my finger of accusation toward them, I have to admit, because it's clearly present in the text, they were paying attention. Verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works. By the way, six times we see the word works here in our text. He says, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? Look at verse 33. And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you, being a man, make yourself God. They were paying attention there. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, they understood precisely what, what he was saying. They didn't agree with it, but they, but they knew exactly what he was saying. The Father and the Son are equal in nature in essence. Again, doctrines of men, the oneness doctrine, the Jesus only teaching. It's heretical. It denies the Trinity. Have you heard the arguments on things like that? Usually we hear it when it comes to the teaching on the rapture. People say the word rapture is not found in the Bible. And yet the word rapture is found in the Bible. It comes from the Latin. It doesn't come from the Greek or the English or the Hebrew. or the. It comes from the Latin. That's where we find the word rapture. But we could use other words to describe the same thing. 
But usually we would like to point out, well, the word um, Trinity is not used in the Bible, but yet the Bible teaches it. The word Bible is not used in the Bible, and yet we own one and, and many, and we study it and we read it. I mean, there's many words that we don't see in the Bible, but yet the teaching is clearly taught in the scriptures. And so Jesus asks the question, and I want you to note, you think of tension. I think that this must have been a tense moment. They're standing apparently with rocks in their hand. They're ready to stone him to death for blasphemy, for making himself equal with God. By the way, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in him, speaking of Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You guys know Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. And then speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, who being in the form of God, did not consider, him, consider it robbery to be equal with God, and made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, and it goes on, humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. Verse 34 says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them, note the word, them, it's an important word, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, remember that Jesus is the word of God, the Lagos, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, speaking of himself, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because you said, because I said, I am the Son of God. Look at, look at his reasoning. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe. If I'm not doing what the prophets prophesied I would do, as they were directed and led and inspired to write these things by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, don't believe me. Don't believe me. But if I do... Though you do not believe, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him and he escaped out of their hands. Well, speaking of now not doctrines of men but doctrines of demons. Uh, Paul warns us of doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons are so out there, so heretical, you'd have to be out of your mind to believe them. And yet many do. Do you know Solomon, um, with all of his <laughs> lust, desires, sin, you know, according to the scripture, who is the wisest man who ever lived. And Solomon is the one who tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. And so we would say in our modern culture, we would say history repeats itself. And Solomon would say, no, <laughs> there's nothing new under the sun. It just might come in different forms, but it's really the same old lie. I think that it's 
interesting, when you look at the things that have, the false teachings that have infiltrated the church, that it, they didn't originate in the church. They didn't begin in the church. They didn't begin with, with someone stumbling upon some scripture and saying, I found something that no one's found, and then they begin to teach a doctrine as, as a biblical doctrine. It's always something that comes outside the church. Um, Eastern mysticism, you know, I talked about before coming to Christ, listening to the gurus, and, and the gurus, well, they all had their own thing going. You know, some of the gurus, the ones that I was interested in, their thing was meditation. So Maharishi Yogi, meditation. So you, uh, you take the classes, you receive your mantra, you chant your mantra, and you'll go into an altered state of mind, and um, you know, and there's all these benefits about uh, transcendental meditation. And a lot of the gurus have their transcendental meditation or or t forms of meditation or yoga. You know, a lot of the gurus have their different forms of yoga. Um, but there's others that have done other things. You know, the the laughter stuff, laughing uncontrollably. Most people think that that happened in Bethel or someplace, you know, oh wow, look at this new move of God. You need to do your research, you need to pay attention. And what you'll see is you'll see, you'll see gurus long ago massaging <laughs> the, the eye, the invisible all-knowing eye, and people begin to laugh uncontrollably. So it's not the mystics copying the church. It's the church copying the mystics. Let me put it another way. It's the Christian, the said Christian, copying the pagan. That's what it is. Holy laughter, the kind of the old being slain, you know. And that, that's a doctrine in the church, isn't it? Now, not not this church, not a lot of churches, but a segment of the church, you know, being slain in the spirit. What is it? What is it? Well, it's, and they cannot point to a scripture and say, this is what it is. They have to say, it's, it's, you're falling out under the power. Okay, can you, can you give me a biblical reference to that? Ananias and Sapphira. Nope. They were killed. I mean, they truly were slain by the Spirit. Weren't they were? I mean, slain. It was a, you, you lied to the Holy Spirit, slain by the Spirit. So where are you going with this? There are these teachers, the, the Kenneths, Copeland, Hagen, Benny Hinn, Paula White, Joyce Myers, uh, all in that sort. And they, they take what Jesus is saying here and other scriptures, and they teach a little God doctrine. Um, you don't have to take my word for it. In fact, don't take my word for it. You could just punch in when you go home tonight or today, I hope you don't stay all day, but <laughs> when you go home later, punch in little gods and, and see what teachers pop up, little gods. And so the thinking is this. Again, they cannot point to a scripture. You say, Dan, 
Here's the scripture. This is the scripture. He called them, God called them, little gods or gods, Elohim. Here's the scripture. Well, Jesus is quoting scripture. What scripture is he quoting? Well, he's, he says the law, so he's referring to a few places in Exodus where we see a reference to this. But, but the source, the statement um, that if he called them God, or let me find the exact statement, um, I said, you are gods. That line, that statement comes from Psalm 82. So context is important, isn't it? Especially if you're going to come up with a doctrine like that. Little gods? We become little gods? Jesus doesn't say, you. Why does he call you little gods or gods? He says, why did he, why did he call them? So the question is, who were the them? And when you look at the context, the them were the judges. God called the judges of Israel God's Elohim because of the position that he gave them ruling over and making decisions over man. That's the context. Read it. Not now, please, but read it later and you'll see the context. And Asaph, who is the penman, the writer of the psalm, speaking as he's being led by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is a rebuke from God against these unjust judges that were not defending the widows and the orphans and those who were in need, and justice was not being uh, you know, accomplished. It was not being fulfilled in the land. And then he ends this psalm by saying, Lord, come and judge your Elohim. They might hold the title Elohim, Lord KC, but you're Elohim. This little gods, it is such a dangerous, and it comes from Eastern mysticism. It comes from the New Age movement. It didn't originate in the church. It originated outside the church. It originated by the pagans. It goes something like this. We can imagine and we can create with our mind and with our words. Wow. In fact, Han, Paula White, you know, Hagen, Copeland, they say this. Well, we are born again. We are born of the Spirit. Uh, we have the DNA of God in us as born-again people. Well, right away you say, what are you talking about? Nowhere does it say we have the DNA of God. The scripture says that we have been created in his likeness. That's humanity as a whole. Beginning with Adam, we are created in his likeness. But we don't have the DNA of God. We have the likeness of God. We have the spirit of the living God. It's not the DNA. It's not, you know, I inherited from my dad, Daniel Paul Renner. I inherited from my father, Father God, because he could create with his words, I could create with my words. Here's the thing. You know what? It's, it's proven by the fruit. 
This is what Jesus is saying, guys, isn't he? I'm not reading into the text. Jesus keeps saying, works, works, works. I'm doing these things. Don't believe me. Don't believe me because of what I say, but believe me because of my works. My works are proof. And so if this doctrine that we're little gods and you can speak things into existence, why isn't it working? And if it is working, what have you spoken into existence? It's heresy. It's blasphemy. It's putting man, you know, they were angry because Jesus made himself equal with God. But this doctrine, this teaching that has infiltrated segments of the church is doing just that. Putting man in the place are equal to God and we're not, we're not, we're not. You know, guys, we look at the word of God and we have so many blessings. We have such a rich rich, uh, you know, heritage uh, in, in the Lord. And we've received more blessings than we'll ever come to understand in this lifetime. I am convinced of it. But why would we want to play with things that are not clearly taught in the scriptures? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And you set yourself up for failure. I believed it. Why isn't it happening? I've said it. I've confessed it. I've proclaimed the words. It's not happening. What's happening? What's happening? And we end up blaming God because he's not coming through. And I think the Lord would say to us, where did I ever say that? Where did I ever command you to, to create things with your words? I haven't. I have commanded you to abide in my word. It's not your words, it's my words. And see, we see within these, these teachers that really are teaching these demons, uh, these doctrines of demons. By the way, you know, guys, you know, I, uh, I exhorted the first service, you know, that, that we are paying attention to what's happening because you know, we have folks in the fellowship and they're involved in politics and everything. And that's great, you know, be involved in politics. But be careful of, of who you're endorsing and, and putting up there on a platform. And you need to recognize that, that all of these political leaders, they're men and women. They're flesh and blood. They're fallen. But I was telling them, you know, Paula White and Pence, our former vice president of the United States of America, both of them have spoke at Mother Moon's conventions. You say, who's Mother Moon? Sun Young Moon. He claimed to be Christ. His wife was, of course, the bride of Christ. <laughs> He's died. Remember him, guys. Do you guys remember? Listen, we don't live under a rock. These things are happening out in the open all around us all the time if we're just paying attention. He's the one who would have thousands of his followers. And he'd, he'd, he'd connect man with woman, and he would have them marry, and they would have these gigantic weddings, and people are marrying people that they had never met until that day. They show up with wedding gowns on, they show up with their tuxedos on, and they are put together, and they're, well, he's gone, so he's, he's, uh, 
he's got his whatever's coming to him. But, but his wife is still around. And these supposed Christian leaders are speaking at her conference. And they refer to her as Mother Moon. The way we might say, Father God, it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. These false teachers, they are teachers of greed. They are thieves and robbers, John chapter 10. They have climbed up some other way, John chapter 10. They will always, sadly, they will always have an audience of undiscerning, biblically illiterate people who are motivated by the latest pyramid scheme. They set themselves up and they say, look at me. I am the example. Look at the homes I live in. Look at the cars I drive. I live in the lap of luxury. And the ignorant, biblically illiterate believer says, where there's the proof. And they don't even realize that they're the ones filling the pockets. They're they're at the top of the pyramid. These people that are hoping for something, you know, that they might be able to speak things into existence. They're down here. They're the ones filling the pockets of these preachers of greed. And they don't even realize they're being motivated by greed. I always exhort to know the word of God. Because if we know the word of God, we're not going to be duped. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And I am known by my shepherd. You know, we should know the word of God so well that it doesn't matter who's speaking and they're saying, thus says the Lord, we're able to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You just took that scripture and tied that thing in a knot. Because that's what a lot of these men and women are doing. Jesus, he used the gods of Psalm 82 as a metaphor. What's the main point he's making You could read it. The main point. The main point is this. He, Father, called them gods because they were judges over the people. They were unjust judges. They are judged because they were unfaithful to the task that God had given them. Jesus was saying, but I, I tell you with my words. I show you with my works and you do not believe. He encourages their unbelief. If you don't believe me because of what I I speak to you, at least consider the works that I do and let those convince you that I am. Verse 38, you guys, worship team, come up, please. We can shut those. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, But he escaped out of their hands, and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing, John the Baptist at first. And and there he stayed. Listen to what the folks that knew John said. Then many came to him and said, John performed no signs. See the theme here, guys, in our text. It's works. It's the works that the Lord was doing. John didn't do any signs. 
But all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. I hope that you've placed your faith in Christ. If you haven't, I hope that you would at least do your due diligence and pick up a Bible and, and read it and say, I'm going to prove this thing wrong or be proven wrong myself. The Lord doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. As a pastor of this church, you know, if we had non-believers coming in all the time, I would probably have more of an evangelistic approach. But in this little church, as a pastor, as a shepherd, under-shepherd of this little church, my calling is really to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so if you're a non-believer, oh man, please come to faith in Christ. But if you're a believer, please take seriously the word of God so that you're not deceived, so that you're not just, and I keep, you know, it's like I'm promoting my, my daughter's song, but that zombie song, you know, uh, just repeating, just parroting what you've heard. And that's what's happening. A lot of people, you're in churches, you're hearing these things, you're parodying them, you're just repeating them, but you haven't yourself even taken the time to say, is that doctrine found in the scripture? Is it clearly found in the scripture? Because more times than not, it's not. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we pray that as we get ready to leave this place that your word would not return void. And I know, Father, that Whenever I speak about false teachers, I always ruffle feathers. And I always seem to be speaking of false teachers, so I'm always ruffling feathers. But Lord, I just pray that we would at least be as the Bereans, search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And if they're not, then we want to buy into them, Lord. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.